be in verse 28. Verse 28. And following uh, the, the title, as you see there, it says, it's only everything. It's, it's only everything. And, and the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing because the main thing really is everything when it comes to God. So as we're here in Mark, go ahead and follow along as, as I read. It says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Here's the setting up until this point. Jesus is in the final week of his life. He's about to go to the cross in just a couple days. And he's cleared out the temple of its corrupt money changers. He's had conflicts with the religious and political people of that day. And and now after this, this torrent of opposition and after successfully dealing with each of these points of opposition, comes this scribe. And it says there that this scribe, it says he's seen that he answered them well. Jesus was interacting with these Herodians, these Sadducees, these Pharisees, these other scribes. And this scribe in our story observes that Jesus answered them well. And although it's not in your notes, it's, a, it's such a minor point, but I think it's a major point in our world today. For us as followers of Jesus, it's good to remember that when we interact with the world around us, um, let's just say someone, and we all have people in our lives, we've talked about skeptics, we've talked about people that are arch nemesises, we've talked about those that, that would be in great opposition to the Christian faith that we hold so close to us. When we are interacting with those individuals, oftentimes, oftentimes those individuals, um, they're not the people that are going to listen to what we have to say. They're not the people that care. They're really in it to win an argument. Hopefully we have, in our, in our perspectives, a genuine heart for these people, and we of course want to have them understand and receive the gospel in their life. But as, as often as the case, that interaction, the people that you're talking to or you're having an argument with, whether that argument is via Facebook or via a text chat or whether it's just, actually people still do talk face-to-face sometimes, whether it's a face-to-face talk like it was in this particular case, it's not the person you're talking to that's going to be affected. It's the person that's observing It's a person on the side that's watching in. And so that is so important for us to remember as followers of Christ that we need to keep in mind the fact that when we engage people, um, and we all have to engage people in difficult things, that when we do it, there's others that are looking in. And the way in which we interact helps them form an opinion. And hopefully, like it says here, hopefully it helps them look to Jesus. Because that's what happened with this scribe. He was actually watching this go on, watching Jesus interact with these mean guys, and it impressed him. And uh, and impressed him to the point where he says this. He said, which commandment is the most important of all of the commandments? Now, if you were to ask 
a good Jew, or any Jew of that day, how many commandments there were. It's not 10 like you might think. It's actually 613 different commandments, things that they were required to do uh, or to not do. Out of that 613, 248 of them were positive commandments. 365 would have been negative commandments, like do this, don't do that. There's a little saying by one of the commentaries that said for, for a, a Jew... A Jew, uh, their saying was, uh, a don't a day keeps the devil away. So if they say no a day, it keeps the devil away. Yeah, yeah. So um, as it relates to Jews, their whole world, um, they had made it very complicated. And there's this very famous theologian that says, sometimes, Dr. Seuss, sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are very simple. Sometimes the, the, the questions are complicated, but the answers are simple. And, and the answer that Jesus gives is, is simple. And yet it summarizes the entire teaching of the Old Testament. All 613 commands that those Jews would have followed were summarized in what Jesus is about to say. And so the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing because only God is everything. That's kind of the focus this morning. And so as we look back here at our text, verse 29, verse 29 says, The most important is this. This is what Jesus is talking. The most important thing is this. Hear, hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. As we look at this, number one in, number one in your notes is what you see is, is it all starts, it all starts for us, for anyone, by hearing God. It starts there. That's why we talk about God's word being his revealed word to us. Um, because it's, it's God's revealed word to us in which has us all here. If we didn't have the scriptures, sola scriptura, in our lives, none of us would be here today. Uh, because it is through his revealed word in which we've been given patterns to, to walk together as a church throughout the, the centuries. Um, so as we look and break down this, this topic, there it all starts with hearing God. And as we, we kind of take this in, in a number of different parts, let's break this down a little bit. We'll see as Jesus interacts here, he brings up, he brings up three truths. Three truths. Um, the first one is he talks about how God is powerful. God is powerful. In this one verse, he points to three truths about the character of God. And the first one is that God's powerful. And we see this just in the simple fact that he uses his name the way he does. The Lord there is Yahweh. That means I am who I am. That means I am all existent, always in present. Elohim there means God creator. So we see right here just in Jesus saying, Hear, O Israel, how important it is to hear God speak. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema is referred to, uh, and that's, I should say, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is what's called the Shema or Shema. And in that, in that particular case, that first word, hear, O Israel, is the, the starting place for everything else that would be following and up from there. But when it comes down to God being powerful, we see that he is a self-existent one because of the names in which are used here. The second one here is that God is personal. God is powerful, but God is also personal. Where do we see that? We see that where Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. Our God. God's powerful. God is, is personal. He's majestic. He is also ours. He is, he is mine. This is different than most every other religion. 
uh, where God is impersonal. God is a distant being, not in our faith. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, who is a commentator, pointed out that Jesus' answer reveals that we are to live not by rules, but by relationships. We're to live not by rules like all of the Old Testament religious leaders had set up until that point. We're to live instead in light of a relationship in which we have with God and with one another. And then the third thing that's pointed out here is that God is preeminent. Preeminent. We see that God is above all else, above all other little g gods. Jane Vernon McGee, one of my favorite radio commentators, J.V. McGee, walked through the Bible. He said, the Lord is our God and the Lord alone, that he is preeminent. He is above all things. He is the, he's not only powerful, the creator, the I am who I am. He's not just personal, but he is above everything else. And why is this important? Well, you think about when Deuteronomy was written. These people are about to go into a land where there are over 40 different people groups present. And within those 40 different people groups, there are all kinds of different worldviews at odds with their monotheistic worldview. And, and a few of those worldviews I want to bring up. If you are in here and you are a middle school student, you're a high school student, you're thinking about college, you're in college, um, you have a hope to go to college one day, or anybody else, but mostly those of you. Um, there's just, these, are, these are three worldviews. I don't think I put this in your notes, but they're, they're so important, I want to cover them. There are three worldviews that were going on back then, but are, are coming um, at us full force today. And the first one is called polytheism. Polytheism. Poly means many. Many. So this is a belief in many gods. Lower G. So the most well-known polytheistic religion today is called Hinduism. There are over 300 million little g gods in Hinduism. That's the most prevalent. So belief in, in many gods. Uh, the next the next worldview is called pantheism. Pantheum. Um, P-A-N, pan in Greek means all. Theism, theo, means God. So this is a belief that really everything is God. The chair is God. The universe is God. You are God. I am God. There is no distinction between deity. That's what pantheon, pantheism is. There's no distinction. All things or God. Everything has equal value. Everything is equally God. And then the third one, which is kind of a summation of a lot of what we see today, is called pluralism. And this is the belief that every belief is equally valid. That not one belief is more important or higher up than any other belief. And therefore, every belief should be valid for whatever the individual believes. And I could put a smiley face next to my quotations there, unless you're a Christian. Because this whole idea of pluralism could be pluralism slash tolerance. This is the world in which we live in today. Um, If you have a thought that is different than a pluralistic thought, which is our Christian faith, our Christian faith says, no, there are not many gods, there is one God distinctly revealed in the three persons of the Trinity. Um, Pantheism, belief that everything is a God. No, there is only one God. 
and he is the God of the scriptures revealed to man. Um, he is shown to us through the, the, the embodiment of flesh in Jesus the Son, and then the indwelling also of the Holy Spirit. Um, pluralism, we do believe, and this is a hard thing for us, but we need to stand on this, that, that there is only one way. Jesus said constantly, there's a narrow way and a wide way. These are the wide way today. These are the ways in which the world tends to think. And if you are on most college campuses today, most high school campuses today, and most middle school campuses today, those three that are there are held in the majority, majority, majority um, by, by teachers, professors, kids in classroom. And if you just look at it, look at the issues that are coming up within just ideas of, of gender, uh, gender identity and things like that. There is no any more specific, distinct gender. I don't know if you noticed that the, I think it was the, the junior prime minister of Canada this last week was speaking to a whole audience of people. And someone in the question and answer time raised their hand and they asked the prime minister of Canada. They asked him, um, what is your view on humankind as it relates to whatever issue? And he stopped her. He stopped her and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's not humankind, it's people kind. She said oh, she said mankind? Oh, okay. So she said mankind, and he said, no, it's people kind, which is silliness. It's, but, but, but see, Paul talked about this, and Paul, Paul said there will come a day when, when everything is backwards, when what is obviously normal and right, as God designed it, creatively in his intent, will be seen as ludicrous and what is ludicrous or alternate reality will be seen as normal and that's the day in which we live in and so much of it is because of the predominance of of these three and and even more you have humanism we'll we'll talk about that later but these particular worldviews and what's our response to that as christians our response to that is to lovingly know the truth of our gospel uh, and to let that abide with within us and when these issues come up we stand on the truth of our belief and we don't cave to the opposition. Now, we do that also. We do that with, with the idea that the person we're talking to isn't our enemy. Our enemy is behind the scenes. And that's a person that needs to be loved. And that's a person that has a worldview because of oftentimes a distorted, depraved world in which they were brought up in and in which this philosophy is the popular, most rampant philosophy of the day. And so we have to come at that as followers of Jesus with great compassion looking upon those people, not looking to beat them in an argument, which is what politics do these days, but instead wanting them to come to the hope and the saving knowledge of the Savior and the beauty, the beauty of those things. Now, all that to be said, that is what the... the Followers of God were walking into, and so it makes sense that Jesus would go to the Shema and communicate this truth to these particular people, and specifically to this this scribe of that day. And so Jesus gives two very clear answers when when he's asked this question: What's what's everything? What's the most important commandment? What's what's it? And, and the first thing that, that comes up here is he says, "Love God with everything." Love God with everything that you've got. It says in verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all 
of your strength. It could be translated because it's written somewhat in like an Old Testament prescription. You will love God with everything in you. But as we know, as we look at the scripture, that love is so much more than a feeling. Another alternate view today that love is, is, is a feeling, but principally it's not. Love is an action. It's, it's, not, it's not primarily an emotion. It's an action. And, and Jesus, I'm not going to go into each one because many of you are know and hear this, but there are four distinct words for love in the Greek language, and Jesus could have used any of the four. Um, there's the, you know, eros, there's erotic love, brotherly love. Um, uh, another one, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. Um, and then there's agapao, which is the word that is used here. And this is a, a never-ending, unchanging, unconditional, all-consuming love that is absolutely loyal. This is the love that God has for us. Never-ending, faithful, unchanging, unconditional, all-consuming love. That's the type of love that he, he has for us, and that's the type of love that we're called to. Uh, we see here it's this concept of all. We see it come up four different times we're to love him with everything in us. It's to be a complete and comprehensive love. God's wholehearted love for us cannot be answered on a half-hearted commitment on our part. Those two things just don't go. It's not how he designed us to be. And one of the biggest problems today in Christianity is you have a bunch of people that take a name of Christianity, but they have a commitment that's soft and a commitment that is always changing with the the, the winds of culture and those, those different things. But with devotion in our hearts, with passion in our souls, and with thoughtfulness in our heads, and with passionate energy through our hands and our feet. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's all of us. All of us is what he is asking for. We're to love him ahead of everything else and love him fervently, every single part of us, every part of our complete being. We are to love him emotionally. We're to love him intellectually. We're to love him through our choices. We're to love him physically. So, John 4.24 says this, Worship, worship in both spirit and truth. God doesn't have all of my heart. If he doesn't have all of my heart, he soon won't have any of it. I don't know if you've heard of Charles Spurgeon before. One of the prince of preachers is what he's called. It says this, If Christ is not in all of you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men and women. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. It's a strong call for commitment. Everything and every part of us. Every part of us. That's why it's so important for every single one of us in here to have people in our lives that love us well enough to speak truth into our lives, to pray for us, to encourage us, to challenge us. And I hope that you have those people in your life, the people that will challenge you. That's one of the reasons why we have growth groups. Uh, but it's also why we come together as a church to be reminded that we need one another to be reminded that it's so easy to drift. So this, this first part of, of Jesus' answer is one between a person and the Heavenly Father. It's what we call like the vertical the vertical part of this command. The next one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I know that's nothing new to anybody who's been in church, but to love your neighbor as yourself. And true to form, Jesus goes right to the, the Bible again, right to Scripture. He knows his audience, and he knows what they know, and so he uses their own Scriptures to show them. 
And it's a quote from Leviticus 19, 18. And the second commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now these people, these people would have been um, taken off guard. It would have been a curveball to them. Speaking of curveballs, I saw yesterday, um, Little League, uh, doing tryouts in the park. We have a bunch of our kiddos in our congregation that are part of YCC. Uh, We have Judy Hunter, who's on the board. It's a big part of the mission and the outreach. We actually stop Awana early so that the kids can participate in the, in the baseball league. We sponsor, we sponsor the teams, we sponsor the league, uh, and I bring all of this up because I'm on a rabbit trail. Uh, curveball, why did I bring Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I hope, I, <laughs> I, hope, I hope as a part of this church and a part of this town over the course of the, the, course of the season, if you don't have kids yourself, take the time to go and you, you, you drive by and you see that there's a game going, go in, buy a burger, and sit down and watch a game and look for an opportunity to, to engage with our community. It's a great, it's, it's one of my favorite pastimes. But anyway, where was I? Curveball. Oh yeah, curveball. So this would have been a curveball to the people that were there because they had never seen, um, they would never seen these two ideas put together into one thought. And that's what was happening here. Jesus was taking these two things and he's, he's bringing them together. Loving God and loving others. And if, if you were to look, the same word here is used again, the word agapao. We're to love our neighbors with limitless and unconditional love. We're to love our neighbors with the same kind of love that we have for, have for ourselves by giving others the attention in which we, we give ourselves. And in the heart of the book of Leviticus, a book that deals primarily with laws, a lot of those 631 laws, um, laws and sacrifice, we see even in there that call to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and, I, and I guess the important thing here is since he's Lord, I, I must love him and I must love those whom he loves. And how I treat other people is directly tied. How I treat other people is directly tied to how I love God. If I'm not obeying the second part of this commandment, then I'm disobeying the first part of this commandment. And the reason why, as we look here, there's, it's funny, I'm not, my sister's the English teacher, but you look at this and it's, it's pretty neat because Jesus is being intentional here. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no commandment, singular. He says, there's no commandment greater than these. Now, if I was to send this paper and I wrote that, I sent it to my sister, she would send it back with red ink because that doesn't work. But, but Jesus is making a point that these two things are really, they're inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. If we only focus on others, we fall into the trap of secular humanism. That, you know, it's all about, and there's churches that are social gospel churches where they, they don't really consider truth to be very important. They say all truth is represented in the way that we treat other people. And so we just love everybody. But Jesus, we saw, Jesus didn't deal with people that way. Um, he met their needs, and then he always spoke the truth to them. And so we don't want to fall on the side of humanism, but if we focus only on God, we come disconnect with people. And that's why a lot of these humanistics will say all those churchy people are all stuffy. All they want to do is open their Bible and stick their nose in their Bible and not love people. Well, that's, that's not how God designed us. God designed us to be both both of these things, and they go together, and you have one without the other, 
It, it just does not. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, in, in Luke, in Luke, it says, it says that uh, do this and you will live. As we love other people, it, it's, actually, it's actually good for our soul. Um, if you think about the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments are all about loving God, and the last six are about loving other people. And on, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. The King James Version says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. This last week, um, because it was awesome, it was the first time I got to go out and start up my motorcycle and, and smell the exhaust and hear the sound and feel the rumble. And, and I quickly jumped on and went for a quick ride. And I got about 100 yards down the road, and I realized I broke one of the cardinal rules of motorcycle riding as I didn't check my tire pressure. And uh, I noticed that the front of my bike was real wobbly. And uh, so I, I turned around real quick and went back and, and realized that uh, the front tire was dangerously low, certainly too low to be able to get on highway speeds. It would have been, it would have been a, a break. And, and so for whatever reason, the back tire was perfectly fine, but the front tire was low. And, and I guess the point is when we talk about loving God, we can't love God and love people, and we can't love people and love God. We, we have to have two fully, properly inflated tires. Those things go together, and when we get out of balance with those things, it becomes incredibly dangerous for, for us and, for, and really, for, really for other people as well. You need both things in order for things to work the way that God designed them. And, uh, and I like how here Jesus doesn't just say that we are to tolerate our neighbors, um, or to just be nice to them, or not to just be polite to them and pleasant to them. He's telling us, he's telling us to love them. He's telling us to love them. And uh, through, the, through the years, both now and then, there's the debate, who, who actually is my neighbor? You know, people get caught up on who is my neighbor. If you're in a growth group, you'll get to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about that. But for our purposes here, we're just going to say that a neighbor is someone who I see and whose needs that I can meet. That's who my neighbor is. And the question is not, who is my neighbor, but rather, am I being neighborly? You get the difference? It's not, who is my neighbor? If you're, if you're wondering, well, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to be neighborly towards? No, it's, am I being neighborly? Am I, am I being a neighborly individual, even to my enemy, even to those around me? Um, it'd be really helpful for us as a church to, to regularly be praying, regularly be praying about our own heart towards the neighbors that are around us. How can I be better at what Jesus is calling me to be here? When Jesus says this is the most important thing, to love him and to love God and to love others, how can I grow in that? How can I be the best neighbor? And I think this is probably another big question. And I realize many of us don't live in, in neighborhoods. Many of us live you know, out more with some, some maybe some land. But you get the picture um, if, if, if you're asked this question, if I were to move out of my house and out of my neighborhood and out of the town or out of the area, would anybody notice? Or would people rejoice? <laughs> Hopefully that's not it. Uh, that's an individual question. Is If I was to move away, would it impact the people that I am living next to? Would they even care? Would they even notice? Um, and I think the same thing as a church. If our church was just to all of a sudden not exist, what would our town, would our town feel, feel an emptiness? 
or would they be thankful? Let's turn, our, we're going to turn our attention to um, a, an acronym here that I came up with this week in, in preparation and in ways in which we can bless our neighbors, ways that we can be actively participating in blessing the people that are around us. And here, here, here they are. Um, first off is begin with prayer. This is where we, this is where we find all of our foundation is in, our, in prayer. And uh, there is no more effective way to reach a people, to impact a community, than by praying. That's another reason why I would say, come tonight to our night of worship. Worship and prayer. This is the time where we come together, we're, we're going to get to sing and worship together, and we're going to get to pray for our community, we're going to get to pray for this building project that we're in. Um, come to that tonight. Um, secondly here is listen with purpose. Listen with purpose. For the most part, we are not good. We are not good at listening real well. I've learned this in my own life. Most of the time when I look like I'm listening, I'm just trying to form my argument in my mind of how I'm going to win the point. It's not the genuine type of love that we're called to. So listen. Listen to others with a purpose. This goes without saying, eat together. One of the, eat together, drink coffee together. Serve in love serve in love and probably the most effective evangelism tool is to be able to share your story people can argue with facts people can try to diminish faith and look at untangible things but when when i'm able to share with somebody how christ has affected my life how he's changed me and how he's been gracious to me when i've gone through my dark seasons of life and i found myself in the gutter by my own stupidity, uh, when I'm able to share that and, and share how God has touched me, the power that that has. I would like to ask you, I've got, I actually have two and a half more pages of notes, but I'm going to stop. Um, but more importantly, I'd like to ask, ask you um, and, and talk about what I would say would be maybe the elephant in the room. And I'm a little uncomfortable talking about this for a number of different reasons, but I, uh, maybe because of the public setting. But I would like for you this week, um, one, maybe if you're in a growth group, this would be a place where you can discuss this just a little bit. But I would like for you to let me know, preferably by email, but you can feel free to call earlier in the week as well and let me know. Um, I'd like you to let me know um, specifically how, um, how your interactions with our apostolic neighbors have gone. Uh, our apost- the old apostolic community is growing and growing and growing, and it's going to continue to grow. And um, I hear a lot of things. And now that I live in town, I see a lot of things. And it's an uncomfortable place to be because I, I find that there's a number of different viewpoints and uh, I just want to know what God wants of us as a church and how we can be biblically neighborly to the apostolic community and I realize that's tough because of some different viewpoints of what maybe they think of us not being part of their church 
But that really shouldn't come into play when it comes to our responsibility to be neighborly to all of the people in our community. And let's just be realistic. That's a huge portion of our neighborhood. So um, it's it's a heart of mine this year to really pray into this. How can we be Christ-like? How can we address this? And um, I know that many of you have apostolic family and friends, and and I have a few, and I have great relationships with them, um, and and yet I hear horror stories, and and I just don't know what to do, and I just I don't want to ignore it, but I also don't want to demonize it either. I just want to see what God wants, and how can we be the most neighborly, most loving um, presence in this town as we can possibly be. So that comes to you. You all have much different experiences than me. I just like your honest input um, this week on and ways in which we can be um, most interactive, most neighborly with with the apostolic community. So be prayerful about that. Be Christ-like about that. And um, I'll be interested just to hear your thoughts. I, I always think I want to ask people individually, and it just doesn't happen. So now I've put it out there. So um, let's let's close up. And I'll invite the worship team back up. Worship night tonight, 6.30. And um, yeah, thank you for letting me deal with that difficult subject. Um, Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for for the place in which you've put us as a church. um, And I thank you for the people that you've put around us. We do not neglect the fact that we have a very uh, rich a rich uh, vineyard that we are to be cultivating and we want it to bear fruit. Help us to be as uh, loving and neighborly as we possibly can to everyone that is around us and um, let that be driven out of just a deepening love of, of um, a deepening love for you. As Paul says, you know, he, he never can get, get away from the depth of the riches of your your love and so help us to dive deeply into that and let it be the thing that most informs the way we we uh, love and are neighborly to the people around us we pray this in jesus name amen